Hey guys, this is Joe Whitcomb with Reboot Your Relationship, and I want to just give another shout out for a happy new year and making 2020 your best year to reboot your life, your love, your relationship, your business, whatever it is that you want 2020 to be so that this next decade, this next 10 years is going to be exactly what you hope for. And I work with a lot of other uh, uh, experts in this field. We built a collective mind share in our Rebuilding Connection and uh, the uh, Relationship Society as a way to make this content and information accessible to all of you so that you have everything that you need to work through any challenge, problem, relationship issue and come at it from a very dynamic kind of way and to understand that in all of our relationships there are multiple dimensions occurring simultaneously and not one dimension can explain or define a conflict or whatever we go through so um, I am a trauma-informed relationship psychotherapist and I developed the trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy method uh, which comes from an attachment-based emotionally focused approach and uh, the physiological approach and a lot of the neuroscience of relationships. So all that gets kind of integrated into that as well as just kind of understanding how to help you and your partner. And if you're in a relationship or you're dating or you're married or going through a breakup or divorce, how to move through all that stuff in a successful way. And again, I've been doing this uh, work for 20 some years. So I want to give you my some of my biases up front. Um, I do focus on trauma, and the reason I focus on trauma in the relationship is because that is typically the origin of a lot of the, uh, from all these aversive childhood experiences that we had growing up, whether it's been maybe physical or emotional, sexual abuse, mental abuse, all these things are family of origin. And again, not to create a blame on anybody, but to understand and have contacts and language and tools to work through this stuff in a way that you maybe haven't had a chance to before. And you'll also begin to see, as we talk about this, so part of my bias to coming from this trauma-informed, so my own ACEs, which we'll call ACEs or aversive childhood experiences, and the complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which we are going to rename as reordering, because it's a reordering of the brain, the, the, the mind, the DNA structures, your, your, uh, your, your synapse, the chemicals, your adrenaline, cortisol, all these types of things that are going on that reshape, reform, reorder your brain. And that's going to be a really super important thing to think about as we get into this and how this is all impacting you, your partner, and how you get into these stances and dances and, and all these different impasses that keep us stuck. And we continue in this frustration and we're trying to find clarity for this confusion that we have in relationships. So I want to take a 30, 30 feet, 30,000 feet step back and look at what's occurring so that we can understand how these attachment injuries impact us and to the resolution of that so let's take off now i have a very very ambitious goal for 2020 for all of you and my 
intention and hope is to create content and put that and make that accessible to all of you. So I'm making a commitment to doing 220 of these in, in 2020 so that you have the information and you can choose and decide how you can best get the helpful help that you need. Now, not all helpful help, not all help is helpful, right? Um, I specialize in trauma and relationships and I work with the military I work with uh, first responders, veterans. I'm a veteran myself. I spent time in the military for 12 years, served in the Philippines in the first Gulf War. Uh, and as a pararescue, I served all of uh, the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, and the Navy. And that has been, you know, kind of my work. And I also bring that work home with me. So this is the passion that I have. And also working with couples, families, and blending families as one of those things, if you're a step family, you, we all have these unique challenges that go on within and between and, and these structures and these dynamics that can be hard. So I'm here to help you navigate and work through that. And I've done the work for you, right? So again, I do have, uh, from my past, I have PTSD and I've had complex trauma and I've worked through all that in the last 30 years. And But I'll tell you, Going through that alone can be very, very challenging. It's like climbing a mountain with no oxygen. And so you have to have your tribe. You've got to have that sense of connection, love, a sense of belonging, a sense of someone that's going to have your back no matter what. So we're going to dive in and we're going to talk about mutual injury today. And we're going to talk about how we get stuck in these mutual injury uh, dynamics, um, kind of the hurt for hurt, pain for pain, you know, the more and more, the more and more that you, the more you feel, you know, hurt, the more you want to hurt the other person. And the more you pursue, the more they withdraw, the more that you escalate, it just keeps escalating into this vicious cycle. And we all have encountered that moment of impasse, this gridlock as a couple or in relationships. And in our own relationships here, we need to figure out how to understand when each partner feels like the injured party, right? That wounding. And by the way, please forgive me. I've been in this, uh, I've had this, what everybody else has been having this season, this cold and allergy. And it has been really hard to get through, but I'm standing strong and working through all this. So please forgive me if I cough or anything. Uh, but I want to get this out for 2020 and keep to my commitment and my integrity to you that I'm going to make this happen for 2020 so you have that. And also this information is going to give you a little bit of an insight, some perspectives, shared context, language, tools, resources to know, one, how I work with you and your partner, how I work with everybody. And we do have one-on-one -on -one couple, uh, uh, couple of work that we do. It can be in person or it can be via video or it can be like Skype or whatever, uh, telephone. We want to put this back in your hands and so that you can take charge of your love and work through this stuff through 2020 and through the next decade. But I would highly recommend you go back through all this other stuff because these are things that we do in one-on-one. We do, uh, I do a half-day live experience on reboot your relationship and rewiring your relationship DNA uh, some other things to rebuild your connection. Um, I also have one day, two day, three day, four day, 
And these can be done in groups, and they can also be completed, you know, one-on-one. And I take couples out, and I put them in a yacht, or I put them in a five-star hotel. And I've been doing this for 20 years and having a lot of fun getting out of the the uh, milieu of everything that's going on in your world and putting you in a safe place so we can get do the deep dive into what's occurring in your relationship. So I am like, I have five, just so you know, I have five degrees and my dissertation, my doctorate was in, um, again, a, a trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy method. And so I, <laughs> this is my work, my body of work. And I'm hoping that this will land for you and because there is a difference between going to, let's say, if you got heart problems and you need a cardiologist, you go to and you need surgery, you go to a cardiologist, a cardiosurgeon. Right? If you have need brain surgery, you go to a brain surgeon to deal with the brain damage, right? All that stuff. So you don't go to a foot doctor to deal with, you know, the heart and the brain, right? So this is my specialty and this is what I work with and my passion about. All right. So let's get into this kind of dance that we all get into at times. Um, because when one person gets injured in the party, right, let's say that the other is kind of perceived as dangerous, danger, danger, danger. And neither party wants to or feels able to move or to make the reparative move, right? So it's kind of like the good, the bad, the ugly. The good, you guys have good times, right? That's when you the honeymoon stage, everything's going great. Everything's moving, you're connecting, you're loving, you're spontaneous, there's love, there's connection, there's belonging, there's significance, all this stuff. You're growing and you just feel so alive. I mean, that's a great space to be, right? You know that time, right? You had all that stuff. But then something happens. Something happens. Something happens. And then the other person, you begin to experience the other person or perceive the other person as being dangerous. And neither party wants to or feels able to make that reparative move. So go doesn't so instead of going from the bad, which we have, right? Bad days. I have bad days. I have my issues. I have my hurts, my ha- habits, my hang-ups. Just like all of you, we have our bad days, right? But it ne- but those bad days can go into good days, right? As long as you know how to do the restoration repair. But when the bad stays bad and it goes to ugly, and there is no reparation back to good, there's no restoration or reconciliation, There's you get kind of in this... So you're kind of like witnessing the struggle that ensues and it feels like watching a race to the bottom and it feels like pain. And you get in these pain cycles, these fear cycles, these dances and frustration, fatigue, failure. So this, these moments kind of remind me of this idea of a pothole theory of marriage. It's kind of like you got... The good, right? The sun's shining. There's a soft breeze in the air. Life's good. You're in love. You and your partner walk down a, you know, this winding road. And then suddenly this big pothole appears, but you can't stop. So you and your partner descend into this large, dirty hole. How did it happen? What's going on? Does it matter? 
The only important task here is to help each other out as fast as possible so you can resume your enjoyment of a gorgeous day together, getting back to good. Because that is the outcome here when you work with me. And a lot of you have been circling around that winding road and you keep coming up to that pothole and you keep falling in. And you think, well, we'll walk around it. You fall in. Well, maybe you need a different path, a different practice, another way, another vehicle, another way to get around, to not keep going down that path in the first place. But a lot of times, because we have all these unconscious attachment wounds and triggers and attachment stuff that comes up, these imprints, okay? But here's the thing. If only life and relationship were so easy, they're not. They're not. Life is complicated. Relationships are complicated. They're not simple. And if our expectation is that life and relationship should come with ease and breeze, well, then we need to roll up our sleeves for six months, do the hard work, lean in, and do what we need to do to get to the ease and breeze that you want. It just doesn't occur. It just doesn't happen, right? We go through seasons. We have our spring. We have our summer. We have our autumn. We have our winters. And a lot of you get in this honeymoon stage in the spring, you know, and, you know, and you're in there, you're sowing seeds, you're pulling out the roots, you've got to get in there and pull out this, all the stuff, the bad stuff, you know, and plant the seeds. So it's a law of sowing and reaping the karmic shuffle, right, where you're sowing activity into this soil so that you are able to produce results that you want. But Sometimes you get in the summer, you quarantine the summertime, keeping the good stuff in, the bad stuff out, all the bugs and all that stuff, keeping that stuff good. But here's the thing. And then, you you know, the natural order, the natural intelligence from acorn to an oak tree, from an embryo to an adult, there's a process here of discovery. There's a process of growing to get to, this, to, get to the fall, to make the harvest occur. Right? But a lot of us, because we're in pain and we're impulsive this way, we're in the spring and we're making demands for the harvest in the autumn when we haven't done the work in the spring. I grew up on a farm in Minnesota. My dad was a horticulturalist. We had all this stuff. So I get this, you know, here in California, we only have two seasons, you know, uh, sunny and sunny and gorgeous and sunny and wet, right? So... Those are our two, but in Minnesota, where I grew up, you got four. So here's the thing. All right, couples get locked in the grip of a, this mutual recrimination. And, it, and these are, you know, and it's dysregulated. And, and then we feel like this urgent need to be vindicated. Like I have to, you know, it's hurt for hurt, injury for injury, pain for pain. The more and more. And we understand in this painful, this painful experience kind of gets us caught up. So what does the trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy method model offer you in these difficult moments? Well, let's get into that. Okay, so the first thing is we got to understand the origins here of our attachment stuff because we're born into this asymmetrical attachment, right? So trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy method, you know, and it, because we expect, both we expect and, and we support the partners to accept kind of this sin qua non of a solid, mutual, satisfying relationship 
And it's making the well-being and happiness of our partner as an overarching goal and a moment-to-moment practice, right? So the path in practice here. And the evocative power of this term in each other's care speaks to an eternal wish, kind of like a wish merger. They have something and everything I want and need, and I wish for that, and that resides in most of us where we're trying to get the wish and this wish merger because they have everything I want and need. And when they don't have it or they don't meet it, something happens. So in each other's care here is the goal and the central tenet of the trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy method model. I'm just going to call it try, uh, let's say, call it try RPM, right? Try RPM is that secure functioning, right? And that's achievement of this capacity which involves accepting that you have to give in order to get. It's the give to give and give. It's that bi-directional flow of love, right? As we know, there's a Bible verse that says, Love is freely given and freely received. It's bi-directional energy going back and forth to meet each other's needs. So the two tenets of this tri-RPM method here in the model is one is on attachment theory. So you'll be well informed about attachment theory and how these imprints and arousal regulation. So we're going to speak both to the underlying assumptions here that I work from and challenges of the model in marriage. So we got to talk a little bit about the our relationships, whatever, because the biologically based motivational attachment system that we're going to get into between a dependent child and a caregiver, caregiver is asymmetrical. What does that mean? It is a one-up, one-down dynamic. One-up, one-down. What does a one-up, one-down dynamic look like? Okay, so in... Reality, world, real world. So a teacher-student, that would be one, one up, one down. Okay? Uh, Parent-child, sinner-saint, top-dog, bottom-dog, lover-beloved. The idea of the, let's say, uh, the rescuer-victim, uh, the perpetrator-victim. All these are a asymmetrical relationship because... There's always going to be one person, one up and one down. And you hear that in relationships all the time. I hear that from <laughs> wives come in and talk, and they disempower their husband and saying they're, you know, they're, they have three children, you know, two and, and their husband, you know. So that's kind of a one up, one down dynamic. And that's not going to work because we're created to be equal, you know, in these marriages. But how we might be viewing that is really important. So the biologically based motivational attachment system here between the dependent child and a caregiver is asymmetrical. So in the presence, let's say, of an external threat or internal discomfort, that your child or dependent child seeks the attachment figure in whom the reciprocal biological-based motivational system is activated, the caregiver, right? So the caregiver and the child. So either the child learns, right, is either the wounded child, and so in adult relationships, it can, adult relationship can look like 
you're being a caretaker for the wounded child that never got that love or connection, belonging, or sense of care. Or you. Can, but what we desire in our adult relationships, right, Mary, is that we're going to be playmates for each other's healthy child. But the caretaker part of that, the one up, one down, that you'll learn in my seminars and podcasts and coming to therapy with me, is this reciprocal system is organized to provide protection, comfort, and soothing to a child in need of care, right? All that's being contributed into our six core human needs, right? So our need for certainty, safety, comfort, protection, right? That's a core need. Our need for, you know, uncertainty, mystery, variety, fun, play. Our need for love, connection, belonging, or significance, and that sense of significance, or like uh, being that sense of worthiness and being respected, that's a high value. Also, our need for contribution, you know, giving and receiving of these things, and then growing as well. The growth, the emotional, relational, spiritual growth within and between that space between that you hear me say is that we're all contributing to that space between so that we're able to regulate some of those things and begin to understand how to do that. But here's the thing. Our early attachment strategies, as well as the characteristic ways of managing arousal, are highly activated in romantic relationships more powerfully than any other adult relationships. Why is that? Well, for instance, let's say you go to work. I mean, you don't have to go home with them. You can leave. You can quit the job. There's no commitment. There's no devotion. There's no sense of uh, uh, protection that you need. But you go home. You know, you got to make love to that person. You know, you get, you know, that your woman's, you know, opening herself up to you, right, to penetrate. That takes a sense of vulnerability on her side, you know, to open up when she's if she's shut down. You're trying to get in there and. Make love, and you're doing that, and she, her nervous system, her regulatory system is shut down, and she, she's not feeling safe or connected or loved. That's going to make it really hard for you to do that. Or you don't pay bills together, raise children together. You don't have to talk about the hard stuff. But this is an important thing that you both are able to do to move out of these binary positions, these two fixed ways of being, into your third pole or this couple bubble, let's say, as a way of finding a way to get into that shared space of love and connection, belonging, feeling significant, but that's having these safe conversations to work through all these things. Because it's different from the child-parent, you know, paradigmatic, you know, asymmetrical attachment relationship. Because partners in a committed relationship are often both seeking and feeling in need of care from the other at the same time. So it's this mutual care kind of thing of it like you're both needing, you're both these two powerful people accommodating, meeting each other's needs, adjusting, trying to leapfrog up this mountain together because you both are equal partners trying to move through that same, move up that mountain. This is important. So what happens when a secure functioning in a relationship meets an injury or an attachment injury or something happens? Something's going to happen. You're going to have a story. You're going to interpret that. You're going to translate that. You're going to add and subtract meaning of all these things that are occurring and looking for evidence of how your partner's a bad person, right, or something wrong. 
His partners enter into marriage or this committed relationship with the hope that the other will meet their needs. Again, this wish merger, right? In secure functioning relationships, each partner develops this capacity to really care for the other person and be able to become an expert on the partner, knowing their vulnerabilities and their strengths and guarding you know, stories and keeping the secrets and being present for triumphs and failures, knowing their love maps. All that stuff is co-occurring within and between in that space between because they've got to answer. You've got to be able to answer as a yes, no, or an uncertainty. It's got to be a yes. If it's a yes to this question, the $96 million question, I'm always asking, are you there for me? Can I count on you? Do you have my back? Do I matter? Am I important? Are you accessible? Are you responsive to me when I'm hurting? Am I or in pain, right? Or is it, you know, are you emotionally engaging? Are you going to be emotionally available? Are you going to shut down? Head off, right? Because this is really super important. Because imagine in your relationship, I want you to think about this type of thing here. Because let's say intimacy, love, connection, all this stuff is occurring at, let's say, on a thermostat at 70 degrees, 70 is where the homeostasis is. That's where love happens. That's where connection happens. That's where, you know, all the good stuff happens, right? You got to get to that point of connection. But let's say the wife runs at 80 degrees. She's a little hotter, right? She's a connector. She's a pursuer. And the husband's a little bit more of an avoider. He runs naturally around 60 degrees, a little lower. And you normally see that. You don't normally see two people running at 180 degrees or whatever. But you see one running hotter and cooler. That keeps the homeostasis of the marriage, of the relationship, you know, kind of balanced. But we think counterintuitively, to get back to 70, the wife might go, oh, I got to go to 90, get hotter, you know, and make her bids for connection and complain and do all her things to get it to closer to connection. And the husband goes down or whomever is the avoidant goes down to 50. Now, if you flip that over, you look at that, space between now you're not closer together you're actually further apart now you're at a distance you're at a disadvantage now you're in this mutual injury because the more she goes to 90 the more you're going to 40 more mutual injury more pain more gridlock more impasse because we're not getting to 70 and this is in the dynamics of your marriage your relationships and so the, the task here with me when you come in is how do we reach and get to 70 degrees how do i you know, come up and meet my wife at the 70, and how can my wife, you know, wife learn to come down and meet him at 70 in this dance so we can stop the mutual injury. And this is where I want to say is that this is where each improves at managing the partner's state, reading the moods, knowing how to engage, to comfort, to play, to seduce, and share. And that comfort and safety that results from being empathically seen and sensitively responded to and engaged, joined and supportive, moves you couples towards more of the secure base, the secure functioning, back into your couple bubble, let's say. However, there are instances of mutual injury, right? Attachment needs are activated. And then each partner is yearning for the other to comfort or soothe or repair and then couples, what we want to do and do, we buy into the idea that their partner is in their care, but maintaining that stance, 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 is especially daunting when the interactions in the dance are mutually injurious, right? 
So we might say, you're looking to me for repair, but you're dangerous to me. You've hurt me, and I need protection from you and soothing. And that doesn't feel good, right? I mean, because then we're like stuck again, because now we can't get to that. So when in conflict, each partner feels the other should respond to their wishes. And at times of this mutual injury, this pain, pain, you know, pain for pain, the more and more, the more pain, the more pain, the more you pursue, the more they withdraw, and each feels the other should lead in the repair, right? So taking charge of your love. So taking charge of your love, and sometimes this is hard, so I'm here to help guide you through that. So even for those with personalities organized around caring, when the injuries, injuries are profound, you know, our attachment needs get activated. And we look to the other for care, right? Kind of like that little kid in the corner just standing there waiting for mommy and dad to come over and give him care. See me, love me, accept me. Love me, see me, accept me, approve of me, right? Just love me, accept me. You know, as we look back at some of the stuff we talked about, what's some things that you always wanted and needed from your mom and dad that you never got, right? Maybe it was validation, or maybe it was acceptance, maybe it was um, being approved of, or maybe guidance or sense of uh, freedom, whatever that was for you, whatever that attachment wound is for you, is what you're looking for from your partner, and you're not understanding that that's what comes up, and you're trying to get that from your partner to heal that part of our, our attachment stuff that goes on. So this is super important. We begin to understand that. So let me talk about this arguing from a trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy method style. Okay, because sometimes as each partner is working to develop a caregiving response to the you know these tender spots, these old vulnerabilities, sensitivities, and experiences of insensitive intrusion, like the hailstorm or the turtle, and the disappointment can reactivate some attachment needs going on. In each of these complex situations, we can find ourselves as partners find ourselves at a gridlock at this impasse because we're each expecting care that they feel unable or are maybe unwilling to provide in that moment. So here are several aspects of the way I'm working with people and and this method I've developed um, to work at a particular value in in, in these impasses, these gridlocks to get into this dialogue, this safe conversation that you're both wanting to have to move beyond X, move beyond that gridlock, that impasse. Because it's it's kind of it's different from other. This my approach is very different from other couple therapy approaches because we value seeing the couple engage in your conflict. Witnessing this argument is our space here which gives you an opportunity to intervene and us to intervene in your experience and join in your experience of this mutual injury so we can identify in the moment what's going on so i'm not afraid of conflict i actually like to be with you and to try to help you navigate that so you can have a corrective emotional experience so the fight can provide an opportunity for a corrective emotional experience and an enactment helping you both to move beyond the regressive pull of the injury, right, where you just shut down and pull away and disconnect and detach or get angry and attack. Whatever you do, whatever your signature move is in that area, we want to redirect you and act in ways that consolidate and organize and move away from these rigid, hardening 
positions, right? Because as children, the wounded child, this adapted child, had learned to be black and white, all or nothing, rigid, tight in the body, you know, un- inflexible, unyielding, un- you know, proud, into more of this adaptive adult role, this functioning adult where you're more nuanced and flexible and engaging and loving and humble and yielding and relaxed in the body, which is hard. That's really hard to get there. But this is where I hold that space for you to be able to do that. So I know this is hard for you to do now, right now, I'll say to couples, but I can tell you that over time you practice this, we can use a softened voice or soften the startup or instead of the harsh startup, soften that. You'll let her know you regret hurting her. Or you tell her or him that you, you know, what you want right now, where you're able to be, instead of being reactive, you're able to ask for your needs. And you do that in like no more than 10 words, which is hard for me to do because I talk a lot. But as we direct these postures and behaviors of connection and care, we're able to kind of stay connected through the conflict to the caregiving system. And this movement becomes an antidote to the, this kind of cesspool or whirlpool of who is more deserving of an apology, apology and repair. And that's where I work. Because some of you are really good at the apology, right? Saying, I'm sorry, you know, making the resolution. I, you find this a lot of times where one person should really good at the apology, the resolution, saying, I'm sorry, without the repair, right? And other people are really good at the repair and never say they're sorry. That becomes another gridlock. And I want to help you learn to, to be able to do both the apology and, and saying, I'm sorry, you know, and to make the resolution and to restore that back to good and to make the repair. Because you have to have both going at the same time. You can't just say, Go repair it, not make the amends or say I'm sorry, because that opens the heart back up. Or if you're saying sorry without the repair, oh, well, we've got a different problem there. So we want to be able to do both and, right? And that's something we work through in the comp and the therapy. So the other thing that we want to work through is the, the story, the narrative of the two person psychology. It's not just one. A lot of people, you know, if you go to an individual therapy, they don't put both people in the lens and the picture because it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. So this mutuality and the mutual care providing both this underpinning for couples, we want to shift the other state and backdrop for confronting down this kind of middle path, right? The third pole, the couple bubble, because you're both falling down on this job and you're choosing to wait rather and Instead of taking charge of your love and the care for your partner, either one of you can change this right now if you choose. The power of one, it only takes one person to change the rhythm of the dance. So you're both, you know, at that moment, abandoning the process, abdicating your personal responsibility to care for your partner in that distress. So I let people know, I know each of you are hurting, but so is your partner, Right? What can you do now to relieve the pain of this moment? What can you do to take 100% responsibility for your 50%? And a lot of us, we either do two things. If you're kind of a codependent type, you take 100% responsibility for 100% of the relationship and you don't, you know, and you're abdicating, you know, and it's learning that I'm responsible for every thought, word, action, 
consequences, outcome, choices, whatever. I'm responsible for my 100% of my 50%. And the other partner is 100% responsible for your 50%. No matter what it is, you got to find that 50% and be re- take responsibility for it and take charge of how you can make the amends. And you need the same thing at the same time. And that's where it gets to be a gridlock in this, you know, this pain cycle. So if you move first, you won't going, your fear might be you're not going to get cared for or you're, you won't get cared for first and you're always the one first initiating, right? So if you wait, you leave your partner in this distress. So you both have to go, I go first, right? How will you get out of this dilemma, this need, fear, dilemma? My need for connection, my fear of disconnection, my need to feel like I'm connected there in a certain way. Something happens, but it's this need, fear, dilemma that we're avoiding. Because of our fear, I'm going to avoid, I'm going to postpone, I'm going to withhold love until they do their part. So you're choosing to wait this in this kind of passive, this passivity, or this passively, or you, or it, ex, it kind of escalates rather than ask for what you want, you know, and to, you know, rather than what, then put your partner first. And I don't think this is in the interest of either of you, right? This is really important. And then we get into this idea of this cross interventions where from this trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy approach, you know, this cross, you get into this cross-commenting, cross-interpreting, cross-questioning, and these innervation, inter- interventions, we want to be able to facilitate movement and create these corrective emotional experiences so that you can build empathy. Because injury becomes less personal in those moments when you, let's say, understand, you know your wife's or your husband's history with their father. That gives you compassion, empathy. What might she be experiencing right now? How might she be seeing you when she puts her dad head on you? Right? It has nothing to do with you, but that's the pattern she's running. And I know you felt hurt that she did not respond to your approach, but you remember how easily she feels intruded on, right? When she feels that hailstorm, when she had a, an intrusive mother who controlled her and she didn't have any freedom or power to choose anything different. And remember what he said about how injury was treated in his family. Remember how they talked about it. No one ever apologized. He was he had to develop a template for repair. And then we get into this idea of attunement. So the attunement is that awareness and of each other's emotions, a tolerating of the differences, viewpoints, and, and turning toward the need and understanding and having you know empathy in that moment, like a radio dialing in. So if you know the attunement is this is kind of love and logic. That's the mental. It's kind of the emotional intelligence of the emotional intelligence of all this, because if partners are competent parents, you know, because uh, we grew up with maybe incompetent giants, but we have competent parents that are capable of tuning and being responsive. You know, ask what they might do if your little kid were actually disappointed, your ten-year-old daughter felt badly hurt and withdrew. What would you do? You lean in. You understand, you validate, right? All those things. So these responses can create a connection to caregiving as well as responsibility for the relationship, which may facilitate more movement in one or both partners, where, again, you're working towards 
the resolution, the repair, the reconciliation, rather than working against the resolution, restoration, repair, which is such an important piece. Otherwise, you stay stuck in that gridlock because neither one of you are moving towards that couple bubble, that third pole. And then these, there's these, you know, quarreling questions, right? You got to ask yourself this question. Do we come first? Does our relationship come first? Do you see yourself as responsible for your partner's well-being? Now, I want to make a distinction between four and two. I'm not, you're not responsible necessarily for, but we are responsible to, because we're all responsible for our own, you know, getting our own needs. But I, so, because that's the part of being vulnerable and asking for what you want and need. But I am responsible too, being responsive and accessible and emotionally engaging and to do my part. Do you have, do you feel like there's an obligation to relieve your partner's distress? Right? These questions can lead to developing our agreements here, the mutual agreements. Now I say, you know, expectations or agreements without consent creates this resentment. So these agreements and expectations have got to be dialogued and dialed into and made agreements around so before you start handling some of these difficult moments to triage and taking turns and whoever brings it up first goes first, right? So this is stuff that we learn. So this, so the cumulative practice here of repair, even in the face of our own pain and untended injuries here, is that kind of builds muscle. So it's like that hard one you know, hard-won confidence that comes from building that muscle. And when I work with couples, they report that in the sessions, they're experiencing these corrective emotional experiences. And and the more they do it, in the stepping up, it eases their resistance at home. And that approach allows couples to build a you know repertoire of behaviors that can actually serve them in these most challenging moments. And, you know, I get couples doing that 10, 20 times in my office and working with them, then they get to practice it at home and they get really good at it. They get a new skill. So I want to just talk real quickly about what's an attachment injury and what we understand about this, okay, and how attachment injuries impact us. So let's say, for instance, one partner violates an expectation that the other is going to be there to comfort and, and caring in times of danger and distress. And that event changes everything within and between the two of you and someone might say in those moments, let's say a moment of distress, right? You're going to the hospital and your partner, you're in the emergency room and your, cousin, your partner doesn't show up. Or you have, well, there's plenty of examples here, but anytime you feel like something, there's an expectation in that something happens, something breaks in you and there's this moment where you say to yourself, never again can I trust him or her. It's that it's that injurious to you. And that re redefines the relationship as insecure. And it shatters that attachment bond. And that single event with this kind of disproportionate influence changes everything. Everything. And they're here and I'm here to help you go back and deal with that. There's some other stories I share in other podcasts that go through this whole process. But again, this attachment injury is an event where one partner or the other, you know, violates this expectation that the others will offer comfort and caring in times of danger and distress. It's such an important thing that we understand how this works because 
these incidents is in which one partner responds, fails to respond or responds at times, then becomes a part of what I call your, uh, in those times that matters most to you in this pain central, okay, what happens is not the, the, the philosophical category, but it's a slight that belongs to the idea that the, this level of jeopardy, it threatens like a shattered knee or a scratched cornea or the relationship ruptures trust and it delivers agony. So in this moment, this general theory of, let's say, an attachment injury um, is where it becomes very painful because that betrayal of trust or abandonment happened at a crucial moment of need. Crucial moment of need. And it sent a message in a specific incident where one partner is inaccessible and unresponsive and not there in the face of the other partner's urgent need for support and caring. And so we're here to kind of walk you back through that because relationship trauma then defines a relationship as insecure. That single shattering event, a sudden snap, okay, has this influence and changes everything within and between you. And this is what we need to go back to, to repair because... What happens if that stays unresolved between the two of you, this attachment injuries blocks the repair process and prevents development of trust and a safe, secure bond. And it leaves this indelible imprint with PTSD symptoms, trauma. And the only way out of, let's say, this attachment injury is to really get in and kind of help you both work through that and focus on how to work through and acknowledge what had occurred in a safe place, you know, so that it doesn't keep causing this mutual injury within and between the two of you, okay? So here I am, you know, we're, this is a process. I generally work 12 to 24 hours, or 20, 12 to 24 sessions. I do 90 minutes, we do online, we do video, we do all these things for you guys to make this accessible to you no matter where you are in the country if you're in california i'm licensed uh you know uh psychotherapist here if you're outside of california we call it do coaching right so it's a little different approach different style a different way of doing it but it's all going to be focusing on helping you in your relationship thrive not just survive and exist but to thrive and to break through these upper limit barriers and to reboot your relationship in 2020. Call me, call me, call me, 310-560-0726 if you think any of these things can help you get back to the good, right, in your relationships. So I would love to work with you and hope this has been a helpful uh, podcast for you and um, let's make 2020 your best year for life, love, and relationships. Have a good one. Bye-bye.